commodities are a diverse bunch and each commodity often has its own idiosyncratic drivers but the asset class isn't immune to the actions of central banks and indeed all the hawkishness from central banks has created headwinds for commodities this year but are we at a turning point we talk all about this with Ole Hansen head of commodity strategy at Saxo Bank welcome to the commodity exchange a podcast where we bring you insights from the world of commodities whether you're an investor or just want to learn more about the topic this podcast is for you i'm mubeen tahir director macroeconomic research and tactical solutions at wisdom tree and i'm nitesh shah head of commodities and macroeconomic research here at wisdom tree before we begin i do need to state the following to clarify The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of Wisdom Tree and in this episode Saxo Bank and are subject to change. Anything we present in this podcast is not intended to be relied upon as a forecast, research nor as investment or tax advice. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are not a recommendation, offer or solicitation to buy or sell any securities and reliance upon them is at the sole discretion of the listener. Please remember past performance is no indication of future results. So with that, Nitesh, how about we bring Ole Hansen to the discussion and kick off uh, some uh, conversation about commodities. Well, welcome Ole. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Thank you very much uh, Nitesh and uh, Mubeen. It's uh, yeah, thank you for the invitation. It's uh, it's an interesting time and it's uh it's, there's a lot of things happening so it's most certainly very very interesting to to discuss commodities and what's happening in the in the wider prospect right well before we start uh, with some questions about commodities uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself uh, how have you come to your position here as uh, head of commodities at uh, saxo bank and uh, you know uh, how do your unique experiences uh, you know how, how can you leverage off some of your unique experiences here oh gosh well uh, as you can probably see from my uh, slightly grayish grayish hair i've been around for a while um i turned on a financial information screen probably uh, late 80s um where i moved to i was I started in denmark uh, at one of the big banks moved to london in the late 80s and uh, stayed there almost there for around 20 years during that time it was pretty was both on the buy and the sell side uh, my, the the thread that's gone through my career all the way has been uh, the futures market I started looking at futures and trading futures uh, back in the late 80s first in the fixed income and later on in in the, as a multi asset uh, uh perspective role uh, when I worked for a hedge fund uh, when I before I returned to Denmark uh, almost 15 years ago but uh, I I worked on the uh, the life exchange in London with the open outcry with the uh, multi colored jackets uh, people losing the uh, their voice at the end of the day but also uh, learned uh, how these markets uh, operate and and how they uh, how they impact each other and uh, it's 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 basically the, that knowledge uh, that has uh, brought me to where I am today where for the last uh, say 13 years I've been solely focusing on on commodities basically looking for providing ideas for our clients uh, uh, keeping uh, our clients abreast with the uh, with what's happening in 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 the commodity space and uh, I do that together with a small group of of analysts uh, uh, based here both in Copenhagen but also in Asia and in in central Europe so uh, so that's that's how we communicate and these days with the, as we do now through electronic media we are an online investment bank we we have roughly a million clients uh, spread around the world so obviously we have facilitated access to the market including ETFs which obviously has become an increasing 
big part of the what we uh, what we offer and what uh, where clients have interest shown interest in the recent years. Wow, that's amazing. So, you know, with Saxo Bank being such a large trading platform, you know, I read on your website more than uh, 95 billion of assets under management. Um, you, I guess you get to see uh, investor trends from, uh, you know, a, a, a wide lens. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the big trends you're seeing right now? Well, the trends uh, has uh, most certainly... Um... First and foremost, uh, I would say in recent years moved uh, somewhat away from FX uh, towards the stock market and, and in recent years uh, to the commodity market. But uh, increasingly we've seen now for the past uh, six months because of the interest rate increases we're seeing around the world that carry is back and that's trying to attract some interest back into the currency market. But I think generally uh, what, we, what we try to preach and what we are trying to, to, uh, to teach our investors and our, our traders is basically diversification is, is key to... Uh, a successful uh, accumulation of, of of wealth over over time, and uh, that's really also where where the ETFs comes in. And then, in, if you look at specifically ETFs, obviously uh, talk with, with Wisdom Tree today. What we have seen uh, during the past uh, past six months uh, is actually increasingly uh, interest for ETFs uh, originated in Europe, issued out of Europe. I think part of that probably to do with the change in regulations uh, last year, where the so-called PTP ETFs, uh, especially when it comes to commodities, doesn't change the tax regulations, which basically meant uh, that if you are a provider of, of access to markets outside of the US, you, it's basically become too tedious. There's a lot of taxation that's, uh, that's involved. And that basically meant that uh, we, we had to stop offering uh, these US ones. And, and among those, we have some of the biggest ETFs in the world, but uh, we've seen declining interest in those and, and, and it increased interest, interest moving towards, uh, towards the European-based ones. And obviously, Western Tree is a major provider of some of these, and 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 uh, so that's why I, I know you guys. I, I watch your, I follow what you uh, your ETFs uh, and use them as as uh, as uh, some of the benchmark for for some of the performances. Because as well, one thing is, uh, what I also like is that in fact most of your ETFs are that they track some some in some shape or form a Bloomberg commodity index index whether it's an individual commodity. Or whether it's a basket or whether it's a whole commodity sector so uh, so that's why we we we, we watch that uh, closely but but generally commodity interest has picked up i lived quite a quite a quiet life for i'll say uh, eight years up until recently it was mostly gold and oil and uh, some of the other uh, major commodities that uh, where the interest were but uh, my god that really changed last year with the uh, with the war in, war in in the ukraine but obviously also the galloping inflation that suddenly uh, attracted a lot of interest into the commodity space, so uh, so it's it's been a very very interesting and very busy twelve months uh, or eighteen months that we've been through, and uh, and uh, yeah, since then we we've seen a correction in the market. But the question is really what we're seeing increase now, whether we are starting to see a through in the market, uh, which we just highlighted and uh, talked about in our outlook, which we which we published uh, last week for the third quarter. Well, yeah, I mean, we're glad to be providing the variety of products and uh, you know, hopefully providing the right types of solutions for people who are caught up in, uh, you know, the you know, the tax changes in the PTPs. Uh, but also, we like to provide that variety, as you say. We, are, you know, commodities are great for inflation hedging. Uh, they're great for diversifying uh, a traditional uh, portfolio. Um, so I'm glad that uh, many of your uh, users of your platform are finding use in these. Um, but you, you mentioned a very interesting thing. You've uh, published your outlooks. Uh, I read them for the weekend with, with great interest. Um, and, you know, it's 
it, you know, it's 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 no secret. You know, commodity markets have had a, a gloomy couple of uh, few months. Uh, well, most of this year hasn't been great for the commodity markets as. Uh, many market players are being focused on the impact of higher interest rates and what that will do to commodity demand. Um, but actually, on the ground, you know, the fundamentals haven't been hurt that much. You know, the, uh, you haven't seen a big decline in, uh, in 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 demand for commodities yet. Uh, maybe that's yet to come. But uh, um, and supply constraints still remain. Do you think that we are nearing peak bearishness, um, or how far do you think we are away from that? I think we are getting uh, quite uh, quite close. Uh, we did see quite a decent pickup in, uh, in prices uh, during June. So far, this July, uh, this month has started reasonably well uh, as well. Um, and you can basically start, you can argue with how much the bad news has been priced in, how many days do you need to open your newspaper or your online news uh, service provider to see the same headline and react to the, continue to react upon it. And, and we all know that the market is right now is is troubled by the, uh, the the slow pro uh, slow recovery we're seeing in China. There's even talk about deflation in the in the short term, but I think that that again probably leads to an additional stimulus later in the year, which may uh, kickstart the or at least support the the economy. And then we have the the the, the fight against inflation, which is uh, adding adding uh, which is weighing on on economic uh, the economic outlook uh, in multiple uh, uh, geographical uh, regions. And um, and that that uncertainty is, is basically well uncertainty leading to the, the risk or worries about recession. I think it's part of the, the 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 reason why we have seen weakness in prices because if you are a company or a buyer of, of physical uh, commodities and you are you are you're worried about a recession, well then obviously you're not buying commodities. You're bringing down your inventory, so you're destocking and. Uh, and you can destock to the point where obviously you need to start restocking, and the restocking process will, will really not start to kick off in in earnest until we have a more clarity on the economic direction or the outlook for the economy we, that we are currently looking at. It's it's obviously very difficult to tie the dots right now or square the dots where you have we have a, a, a U.S. yield curve, a screaming recession. At the same time, you have a robust stock market, and at the same time, you have a strength in the in the economic data. So, uh, so we're really still looking at, well, in theory, the U.S. economy should basically, from one day to another, fall off a cliff in order really to uh, to justify these recession calls, which we are starting to somewhat uh, doubt that we'll actually come to fruition. So, uh, so with that in mind, perhaps we have seen we are close to seeing a, a low point. Perhaps not in the economic growth wise. That may still slow, but at the same time, the market has been preempting and 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 repricing this risk uh, for quite a while now. And that basically means that we, we potentially could start to see prices rise before we actually uh, are completely out of the, get completely out of the, uh, the, the woods that we're currently stuck in. Well, wow. it, it, it seems uh, that uh, the last thing the, that the Fed wants to do is appear to be soft on inflation uh, right now. Uh, even though inflation is uh, coming down, uh, it is still maintaining its very hawkish stance uh, and of course, that has implications for commodities and your view. But curious to get your thoughts on uh, where you see U.S. inflation and can the Fed uh, afford to take a break, uh, given where things are right now? Well, it just—I think that it just looks like the well, the markets, the traders—they are born optimists. They want to—they uh, want to believe in the, they will be better tomorrow, and that basically means that if the Fed gives any hints of uh, him forcing or taking the, the foot off the, uh, the the accelerator, 
then the market will respond uh, quite aggressively in in terms of cheering and, and and looking for for the for the rate cuts to start to materialize. We saw that uh, briefly the, during the banking crisis back in March, how the market was basically suddenly going from uh, pricing rate hikes to uh, more than a one percent rate cut, and that's clearly too, way too early for the Fed to accept uh, the market uh, change in the focus in, in that in that way. So they really have to they have to send send perhaps a more hawkish signal than they would like to. But it's simply because the market has to be kept in this belief or in 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 this uh, in this focus uh, at least for for a while longer while we still try to get the inflation under control and uh, inflation direction is is I think it's really one that uh, that uh, divides the wa- the waters right now because uh, I think the general view is that inflation will continue to come down um, I think at the same time we're a little bit more reluctant to uh, to believe that the Fed will of the inflation eventually. We'll come back down to the uh, the Fed's long-term target in the two two and a half percent area, simply because the world has changed quite significantly during the last two years. We have a fragmented world. We have we have geopolitical risks on the rise. We have a uh, reshoring and French shoring of production. Uh, all of that is not done because it's cheaper. It's done because uh, from from a safety uh, on from a security perspective, these are all adding to uh, adding to the some of the underlying of the stickiness. Inflation. We have interest rates going up. That basically means the mortgage costs are going up. Renting is going up as well. And uh, and then you have a, and if everything is going up. Then you want to be paid a higher salary. And uh, even though the 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 the, the market is looking for the unemployment to rise in order to see weakness in the economy, we also have to remember that that we are approaching uh, the, the 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 big boomer generation from the from the 60s and 50s. They are starting to retire now. And that basically means even even though you have uh, you have people getting unemployed, then you also have a, a, a big amount of people increasingly leaving the work uh, workplace. And that basically means that uh, some of the, the the tightness and bottlenecks we've seen in the labor market is unlikely to uh, to disappear anytime soon, and uh, perhaps even getting worse in the coming years, especially across the Western world where we are getting into a situation like Japan now has been in for the last uh, ten to fifteen years. And one uh, commodity uh, that is most relevant to the inflation discussion, of course, when we talk about inflation, we talk about commodities in general, but we talk about gold in particular. And uh, many people have been uh, wondering why when inflation has been going through the roof, why gold hasn't been doing the same. Uh, so curious to get your thoughts. I know Nitesh has uh, thoughts on gold, so I'm very keen to get his reaction on your thoughts on this topic as well. Uh, but curious to get your thoughts on where you see gold going, uh, say, for the rest of the year. Well, first of all, uh, it's absolutely right uh, that last year was uh, was a bit of a head scratch. Uh, if you uh, if you are not completely familiar with with the, the what the other factors uh, tend to drive gold. Uh, True, we had the highest level of inflation, raising higher the highest level in in, in four decades. You need to be my age really to remember what what uh, high inflation meant uh, to the economy, and um, and gold didn't really do much. But I think on a year where we had, but generally last year I think gold did extremely well. It was it ended the year unchanged uh, in dollar terms. It ended higher in, in other currencies, and uh, this was basically a year where we had a strong move up in the, in the dollar, which is gold negative. And we had this massive surge in real yields, uh, which is also a major drag on, on the gold price. And actually, at one point last year, and probably even still, we had quite a few calls for sharply lower gold price because real yields were going up to the point that, that it's, it almost signaled that gold should be trading two to $300 lower. 
the fact we didn't go lower, the fact we didn't end uh, lower in the year, I think, uh, can also be uh, is is another, I think, longer term supporting factor. That is central bank demand. Central bank demand uh, for gold last year hit a record high. Uh, there's a lot of talk about uh, creating a, an alternative currency to the dollar. I don't really think it's going to fly, but uh, but it, if it if it did, it would be probably be backed by gold like we saw in the old days, and uh, and and. This is this part of this de-dollarization that we're seeing. That some of the central banks that are accumulating gold these days, these are these are central banks where where they like to reduce their their exposure in in dollars, and that trend I think is is likely to continue. So uh, I think that's probably the the two to three hundred dollars uh, last year that gold didn't fall uh, based on where it should have fallen. When we look at where where reallys went, I think a large part of that was really driven by the the fact that there was a, a flow onto the market from central banks just hoovering up physical gold taking it out of the market and, and creating some a bit of tightness so that was last year this year so far has been um, a bit of a a, a no walk to walk to nowhere we uh, we're in a downtrend right now uh, showing some signs of uh, fresh demand coming in but uh, but generally the market uh, gold market hates uncertainty regarding the uh, the, the direction of interest rates and uh, that probably will continue to 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 drive the market in in the in the short term what I do find, and uh, that maybe that's where we, we differ uh, slightly, is on the inflation outlook. Because if, if our belief that inflation eventually will end at a higher, uh, settle at a higher level than where the market is pricing it in, just take a look at two, five, and 10 years inflation swaps. These are traded, tradable prices or products that can be traded in between banks from bank to bank. And these inflation swaps are basically swapping hands right now around 2.5% all the way out to 10 years. Let's just say for argument that it's not two and a half, but perhaps three or three and a half percent. If that starts to take hold, that uh, that belief that that obviously will lead to a re- major realignment of these real yields. Real yields will come down again, and that could be uh, the the trigger for, for for higher gold prices. I think that combined with the with the fact that the the Fed probably eventually will take the foot off the uh, the hiking pedal, uh, and we basically get into a, a so-called peak rate situation. We have seen that on three previous occasions in the past 22 years, uh, that the peak rates in the U.S. signaled a strong move up in gold in the months and quarters that followed. So um, so based on these, uh, my, my short to medium forecast is still one where I see gold make a, a new record high. We have a very, very heavily indebted world, which is, uh, which is not uh, with us, I would say, would, uh, would be on balance, would be helpful for, for gold uh, just to have an alternative investment to a so-called fiat money. So, um, so basically, that my these are our, our two main or three main reasons. So, real yields eventually coming down again, and the um, and inflation uh, settling at a higher level than where the market is currently pricing it. Wow, it's uh, it's amazing how our views are so similar in many ways. Uh, so, you know, we also expect gold heading to a new nominal high. Um, getting to a real high, obviously, uh, is going to be difficult because it was last reached in the 1980s. And obviously, with all the inflation we've re- had since then, it's, it's going to be a tall order to get back there. Um, but, um, you know, we have our models for, for gold and, um, you know, the de- gold prices are dependent on many things you've mentioned, inflation, uh, the dollar exchange rate, um, uh, treasury yields. We put them in nominal terms because we've got inflation also in the model, so you get a proxy for real uh, reals at the same time. And then you've got a sentiment factor within within the model, which is based on um, futures market positioning. 
and based on just taking a consensus view on on the economic variables, um, we get to that gold price at all time high. Now, I guess consensus has that kind of view that the Fed will uh, tip, you know, that they will get a nice pivot, uh, you know, as early as this year, and we start getting decreases in in rates. I guess your view on sticky inflation is the the sort of counterbalance. You know, that that's what probably keeps gold prices uh, that that little bit higher. Um, we at Wisdom Tree think that you know inflation actually may, in the U.S. at least, uh, may have actually um, already be slowing down a lot more than uh, than what the what the Fed is um, you know currently interpreting because shelter costs are a little lower um, when you use more real time uh, measurements. But uh, you know, I, I guess our view is still that um, uh, gold will do well because if at any point the Fed does realize. Uh, you know, how soft inflation is, they're probably likely to move. But I guess if they take the counter view um, that inflation is going to be sticky and, and higher for longer, um, just curious, do you think, uh, you know, what is, what is your view on that? You know, would, would the Fed be more adaptive in its, um, in its, in its kind of monetary policy and, uh, and allow for that higher inflation? Well, that is the million-dollar question, and, uh, and that's that's obviously the one that the market uh, doubts uh, right now. Uh, that the fact that the Fed could uh, suddenly uh, spring a spring a surprise saying that they're raising their long-term inflation targets. Um, so that is that is obviously a, a tall order. So based on just based on consensus, that is obviously a non-consensual uh, view. Uh, but also, I think uh, one that we we had to take into consideration because uh, we we know what will happen if we are. If we're still looking at uh, if, if the if we, we stick with consensus, uh, that will not create really a big a big stir in the market. But if if suddenly we should see a, a change, uh, that's obviously when we, we suddenly volatility in the market could uh, could spike, and we, we need to see if we see major realignments uh, across markets. So uh, so that's why I think we, we need just to keep it in in mind as a potential outlier of, of something that uh, that could happen. At the same time, Josh, when you when you, you we say well, if if you are if you if the belief is inflation will come down, perhaps uh, continue at the current trend. Well, then again, that will also mean the Fed can take the foot off the brake uh, uh, sooner than they, than expect. And again, that's that's when we hit the peak rate uh, scenario. So so um, so you can almost have a <laughs> have a bullish argument uh, in both cases. So uh, which which uh, is obviously a bit. Uh, which is that uh, nothing is ever for sure in this world, and for, for certainly not the commodities. And I think, especially when you look at something like, like gold, it 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 really is a market where I I quite often come across people saying, well, they, they they it's either it's either all in or all out because it's it's one of these markets where you can almost you almost need to fall out of love with it before you can get a fall in love with it again. Uh, there's not really any middle ground. So uh, so quite often people get very frustrated that it's not behaving like a rocket just uh, going in in one direction for months it just simply doesn't happen because it's part of a it is it is a currency and that basically means it's operating in the, in the world of other currencies and what happens elsewhere does have an impact on, on gold so it's it's just one of these things that you uh, almost when you get most uh, the most despair that's that's quite often the time where you should uh, think think the opposite thank you so much for that and I, I do agree you know I think people have these perceptions of what the asset class should do and uh, you know they, they, they either they either falling in love with it or hating it but uh, there is very little middle ground I do agree <laughs> I don't know yeah, if we can move a little bit to um, other parts of your outlook um, you touched on on, on China um, and I was wondering if you could expand on some of your, your views there you know um, they haven't come up with the big bazooka yet uh, but um, 
you think they will and what what is they do <laughs> well i think they they uh, almost have to uh, because i'm not quite sure whether they can uh, they can uh, they can live with the growth at these uh, lower levels obviously they are indicating already now that they want uh, they're taking a focus away from 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 growth to uh, more sustainable growth and uh, perhaps uh, focusing on areas that may not create the same amount of growth that it did in the past so um so it it, it is a uh, we we are we are a little bit stuck here, but I think uh, overall the, that uh, I, I would be surprised if we didn't see uh, additional measures and initiatives being uh, being taken at least just to to stabilize the uh, the, the economy because the, the data that comes out are clearly not uh, not great. Uh, we have a very over leveraged economy, a lot of debt that needs to be brought down. So that's uh, so that's how uh, how how the man in the street uh, thinks right now. So uh, so it, it it is a troubled. Um, it is a current, current uh, um, challenged, uh, challenged outlook, but uh, but we see that we see that potentially change into the into the second half. But at the same time as well, uh, I think you you mentioned at the start. Uh, one thing is we we have grown accustomed to uh, to to Chinese demand. I, I started working for a hedge fund in '99, and uh, we were very heavily involved in commodities. And that and you can obviously imagine what happened to returns over the following ten years. When China joined the uh, the world and basically gulped up everything that looked like a like a raw material, so it was a it was a golden decade for uh, for commodity trading and uh, and uh, we, and then we went into a bit of hibernation. But uh, but that that demand is was the key driver for prices back then. But I think looking ahead, the I think the, an equal focus should be the supply side as well, and uh, that basically also makes me believe that we are uh, we are close to a through in, in the commodity sector because we will. We will be facing some challenges uh, in the coming years regarding supply of some of these key commodities. The oil market right now is a classic example. Well, uh, yes, right now it, it's under pressure because every time OPEC cuts production, spare capacity goes up. That creates a buffer, which makes the upside risks uh, lower. Uh, that means the, the potential peak in a, in a rally is it's lower than where it was in the, in the before. Demand will start to taper off, but at the same time, because of the, the 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 electrification and the energy transition, but obviously major oil companies they know that as well. So why do do they want to get involved with an investment that takes five years to before they can pump oil out of the ground, and then have to make their money back over the next uh, the following ten years if we are seeing peak demand within the next five to ten? That is really the the conundrum that we are facing in the oil market. And I think we just and looking at the metal market, that's probably even that's probably where we're going to see even more tightness. We saw in recent. Uh, reports from some of the big uh, major mining uh, or the quarterly uh, statements from the mining companies that they're all kind of facing the same difficulties with uh, with with the uh, I actually got them written down here because there's quite a few of them but uh, I'll come I'll come to them when I can actually find it but uh, but one of them are obviously the environment uh, we too much water too too little water the uh, there's political intervention lower ore rates and uh, and so on and these are all and higher higher production costs these are all adding to the uh, to the risk that the, that the increased demand we may see for, for key commodities, especially industrial metals, in the coming years, uh, will be challenged. And with for the for the mining companies really to have the, the the muscle and the strength to continue to dig deeper and wider, that basically means metal price needs to be at a level that uh, where that's uh, economical uh, justified. So uh, so I think it, looking ahead is one thing is demand, and that's a long answer to your question about China. But looking ahead. One thing is demand, which may not be uh, be be as strong as we've seen in the past, but equally we could see supply being challenged, and then unfortunately we have the whole climate change, so also having impact on on volatility in the crop market, which we've seen increased uh, in recent months as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's a very interesting point. There's massive amounts of uh, challenges that, that, uh, that the miners are undergoing right now. And I think uh, uh, I think you lay out the ground there perfectly about what some of the long-term trends are. But uh, Mabin, I don't know if you want to ask any more questions about the short term. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, one commodity sector we haven't touched on yet uh, is, of course, agricultural commodities. And... Um, Agricultural commodities, uh, several of them have been trading in a tight range uh, recently. Some, some have been doing quite well. Uh, but, um, of course, leaning once again uh, off uh, your expertise as a former, uh, with your experience in a, in a hedge fund and your observations uh, on uh, what's going on with Saxo's platform, just cu curious to get your thoughts on uh, what's going on in the world of agricultural commodities in the short term and maybe uh, going into next year as well? Well, um, I think in order to give a solid answer on that, you, uh, you need to know what happens above the clouds uh, or if there are in the clouds. Uh, and then that's really what uh, makes this uh, so incredibly volatile because uh, agricultural commodities, uh, I would say, are different to some of the others because uh, demand is relatively sticky. We know how many people there are in the world. We know uh, what the growth le growth levels are. That basically means we also know what kind of switch there will be, maybe from uh, from uh, from rice and wheat to uh, to meat and so on. And so it, it's relatively easy to uh, to work out what the demand is uh, will be. Uh, where where we where we struggle that's obviously on the supply side, and uh, the supply side has met uh, has met and will continue to meet uh, several challenges uh, in the years to come. Uh, Weather aside, we obviously had the war in Ukraine, which uh, left uh, the the supply of wheat uh, uncertain. Well, increased the wheat on supply uncertainty uh, quite elevated for a period of time. That could easily come back. We have a uh, Nina and La Nina weather formations, which are uh, alternating between cold and hot. Which now it's, it looks like it's, it's it's turning towards uh, a Nino, uh, which is uh, the the hot variety, and that uh, that could potentially create some some. Some uh, some problems in in the in the months ahead. So um, it's really a it's also a very it's also a tricky market when it comes to uh, obviously uh, you want to speculate in higher food prices and, and, and lower food prices and vice versa. But uh, what we have seen uh, on the you talked about the speculative side. Uh, if I look at how the hedge funds have been behaving in this market, they have been absolutely been taken for uh, they've been taken out the back and uh, been given good uh, holding over because uh, they've really been been struggling. Uh, just like everyone else, to uh, to to uh, catch up with the speed with which we've seen some of these markets uh, gyrate in recent months. Uh, just take a look at the grain market over the last couple of months. Uh, we've gone from uh, almost uh, several year lows, and suddenly we just surged massively higher due to crop conditions concerns in the U.S. and and elsewhere as well. And then suddenly there was a report from the U.S. Uh, re raising the acres for corn, lowering the acres for soybeans. And suddenly you had the biggest uh, uh, dislocation between those two contracts in, in living memory as well. So um, it is just a very, very volatile, uh, volatile area. But uh, if if I if I should look at it over time, uh, I think unfortunately there's only one way, and that's uh, that's that's higher prices. But obviously, hopefully at at a at a pace where where it's not uh, out outperforming inflation too much. Wow. That's uh, some amazing insights into into agriculture. It is truly one of the most volatile areas. But obviously, uh, if you look year to date, I guess that's probably the source of most of the gains in, in the commodity market. So it's a very important area. Um, I 
just wondering if we can just go back to your uh, your point you made on on oil because uh, I thought you said something you know very interesting there. Um, you know, OPEC is intervening in, in this in this market, um, and I guess you know the the headroom for upside after uh, I guess OPEC interventions are always getting getting a little bit more uh, constrained there afterwards. But you know, what do you, what do you think will allow? oil to break out of its current range? Is there something particular you're looking out for that could be a nice trigger point? I think if we look at the, uh, there's been a lot of, uh, again, uh, returning to the talk about speculators. We know there's uh, particularly one guy in the Middle East uh, who really don't like speculators. And he's actually a very critical guy when it comes to uh, decisions made in the oil markets, the Saudi energy minister. Um, he's been out uh, railing against the speculators on, on, on a regular basis. The problem is when you are speculating and railing uh, against the speculators, you're actually also railing against the FOMC. Because right now we're having a battle, I would say, almost between the FOMC and, and OPEC. Because FOMC is looking to uh, to kill growth. And uh, if you are a macroeconomic-based uh, fund, you are looking for hedges uh, to uh, to hedge against uh, the slowdown in growth uh, through for, through the uh, the mechanism that comes through uh, higher rates from the FOMC. And then you look at oil market as, as a potential hedge against an economic slowdown. So you're selling oil, not because you don't like, uh, you, not because you were for any other ulterior, ulterior motives, but simply because you're looking for a, a hedge against an economic slowdown. So basically, what, what should change? What, can, what needs to change? Well, that basically will be that the market gets a firmer grip on the, 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 the economic outlook and where we're heading. Um, that perhaps we can avoid a recession in the U.S. That uh, that recession elsewhere will become uh, lighter than than otherwise uh, feared. I think that really is the, the main trigger point because that would remove the, hair, the, the the short selling in the market and or at least bring that back to a more normal levels. And uh, that that uh, itself could uh, could could trigger a, a move uh, higher in the market. So <coughs> so I think that's really where where it has to come from. And then at the same time, then OPEC will also be uh, OPEC wants to be the central bank of oil. I, I can understand that they have a, they control uh, OPEC plus. That is, they can control forty plus percent of the global uh, production. So obviously, uh, you want to have a say of, and how the market is uh, pricing your 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 biggest assets in in, in some of, most of these countries, and uh, they're doing that by actively managing uh, supply and demand. The only problem is when you it's easy to pull the barrels from the market through cutting production, like we saw Saudi Arabia did unilaterally at the start of this uh, this month. Uh, into August as well, and uh, the combined uh, cut we saw back in April. But uh, what do you do when you want to add the barrels back in again? Um, what do you do with the uh, the guy who did not uh, lower the production and, and instead took some market share away from you? How do you how do you sort all that uh, all that all that out in the, in the future situation? Well, it's not really a problem. Is uh, if demand comes roaring back and there's uh, that any any barrel you can produce is in demand. But what if the recovery is not going to be as strong as as uh, potentially expected? And also uh, forecast, I would say, both by OPEC and the IEA during the uh, during the current quarter. If we don't see that pick up in, in demand, then then obviously there is a there there could potentially be some some issues. And also, as I mentioned earlier, the biggest thing the market fear the most is supply disruptions. What if there's not enough uh, oil around? We saw that briefly during the uh, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And uh, but what what can mitigate uh, supply wars? Spare capacity. And every time that OPEC uh, cuts production right now, there's not obviously that that production can be brought back on at, uh, at any given uh, time. And that basically means right now we uh, we are approaching uh, an OPEC 
uh, across OPEC uh, spare capacity in the region of 6 million barrels of, of a spare capacity that can be added back into the market. This is into a market where we are looking for demand this year, probably rise maybe 2 million barrels, maybe a little bit less than that. And in the coming years, uh, probably less than that. Um, that being, basically means there's, there's plenty of oil to go around uh, on that account. Obviously, you need to take into account as well that every year you need to find an additional 5 to 10% uh, new barrels just to uh, offset um, expiring wells and so on. So it, it's not a, it's not a one-for-one, one, but, uh, but generally a high capacity lowers the risk of a spike in the future, and that also lowers the potential high in the market. So, uh, so oil price, I think, at this point, I think I'm, I'm constructive. Uh, I have to be on, on my assumption that China will do additional uh, measures. Uh, U.S. Uh, potentially avoid a recession, then I, I, I could see oil prices return to uh, to the 80s uh, during this uh, this current quarter. Probably not much higher than that, but I think even the if if we can get to the mid 80s, that's probably pretty. Uh, that's the level I think Saudi Arabia even would be would be satisfied with, on, as long as they can add the million barrels back, because obviously that's a lot of revenues that they are losing out on uh, during that this this uh, period of time here. Well, wow, that's ex an excellent thorough uh, review of you know what's um, uh, oh, what's in store for OPEC over the next few years because I think it is a as you say it's it's not just uh, uh, you know the economics of, of of commodity markets we have to think about the politics of uh, commodity markets at many times so um, really appreciate uh, sharing your thoughts with us on that thank you so much Ole for uh, being a guest on our uh, on the commodity exchange really appreciate your uh, your wisdom and your insights thank you very much Nitesh. thank you very much Bobin. but before we let you go uh, for uh, the listeners and viewers of, of this episode if they want to hear more from you uh, do you want to share any of your social media links or, or where can they find you well, thank you for that. Um, well, first and foremost, uh, obviously, as, as was mentioned, I work at Saxo Bank. We have a, a website which is called analysis.saxo. That's where we put out everything we do from uh, fixed income of currencies to stocks and commodities and uh, also technical analysis. And uh, and I have a Twitter account, which is uh, Oli underscore S underscore Hansen. Uh, that's with an E. I know uh, you guys like the O, but it's actually an E. Um, and that's where I primarily post about commodities, not many pictures of cats and dogs. Uh, so uh, this really commodities at my main, my main focus. So if you want to uh, follow me there, of, of course, you are more than welcome. I'll be, I'll be happy to invite you into my, my little Twitter family. Excellent. Thank you very much, Ole. And thanks everyone for tuning in. We hope you've uh, enjoyed this episode of the Commodity Exchange. If you want to hear more from us, please do subscribe on whichever platform you're using. And please uh, take a moment to leave a rating. You can follow us on uh, Twitter at Nitesha WT and at Mubin Tahir WT. And if you want to learn more about commodities, visit Wisdom Tree's website, where we have a wide range of research materials and insights. See you next time.